I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful I am and cunning. Powerful. I am strategic, I am strategic and, bold. and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. We're in chapter three, brand new chapter. That's why they call it chapter three, page 37. And the topic is the Trinity. That's right. It's called the Trinity. One more time. It's called the Trinity. We said that three times. I wonder if that was symbolic. Yes, it was. Orson, thanks for asking. And what we're going to see there in the page of uh, 37, the top there, it says three persons in one home. Okay. And that's what people do. They look at it wrong, but that's what we want to clarify. It says this, the Bible teaches that God is what? One, okay. But it also teaches that God is three. Uh-oh, what's the problem there? Is there a contradiction? Not at all, Tom. Thanks for asking, though. Works well with the notebook here tonight. The Bible makes it clear that one God exists eternally and inseparably in three what? Personalities. Now, I like this little breakdown. The Trinity or what? The triunity, you got to keep that in mind because if you don't understand that, then you're going to get off on all kinds of uh, misunderstandings like the Colts do. The trinity or the triunity is a doctrine or teaching that is fundamental to the Christian faith, okay? Belief or disbelief in the trinity marks orthodoxy from unorthodoxy. Man, those are some big words tonight, Jenna. What does that mean? Well, it means from being a true evangelical Christianity versus not. Okay, true biblical Christianity is what it's talking about. Human reason, however, he says, cannot fathom the Trinity, nor can logic explain it. Yes, he is point. Technically, yes. But I want to give you, again, some familiar analogies that will, I think, help us to understand it with some logic. Okay, so how in the world can you have uh, something that is uh, one, but it actually is also Three, that doesn't seem to make sense. Well, let's look at it a couple of different ways. We've seen these analogies before, if you recall. Uh, the first one is the water analogy, right? Water is one thing, right? At least I think so. And uh, but anyway, but water, if you leave it alone, it stays a uh, liquid. If you freeze it, it becomes a solid. If you heat it up, it becomes a vapor, gaseous. Which one of those is not water, right? So you can see, have something that's one, but three at the same time, okay? Another classic example, of course, is the mathematical one. This is where people get it wrong, is they would say, well, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. How in the world could you have one plus one 
plus one, that equals three. Well, as we're going to see tonight, he is one in essence, okay? He's eternally the same. He presents himself, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if it's one in the same essence, then mathematically, we even know that three ones can still be one. And that's when you look at it as one times one times one equals what? One. Okay, so three can equal one. And then give you just another uh, example is this, okay? Uh, I am one person. Please agree with me. Thank you. At least on Wednesday nights. Okay. And, uh, but as one person, I exist as a father. Got a couple of little crumb snatchers, right? Uh, and I'm a son. Did you know that I actually came from a mom and dad? Huh? Praise God. You guys, I know you're thinking about transpermia, but that's not, that's a lie. Okay. But uh, that aliens did it. But uh, I'm a son. I came from somebody. And it is very important that you had, how many guys realize that if your parents didn't have any kids, you won't either? All right, uh, you've heard that before, but that's a brilliant, awesome thing. Okay, <laughs> I'm a father, I'm a son, and believe it or not, at least on Wednesdays and uh, uh, Sundays, I'm a pastor. Okay, one who technically should bring, you know, teaching or comfort, and I say that for a reason. Okay, now, uh, well, wait a second. Which one of those is not me? It's all me. Okay. Okay, but then that's how the Bible says God presents Himself to us. He's one, but He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is called also the comforter, okay? So even though he says logic can't really explain, yeah, I see what he's talking about, but I think there are some things that God's given us to help explain uh, this important truth, okay? He says, uh, although the word itself is not found in scripture, the word trinity, okay, the doctrine is plainly taught in the scripture. Now that's really important to note because the cults out there, the people who would deny the trinity, uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, one of them, and uh, a bunch of others, Okay, but they would deny the Trinity. That's what they'll say. They'll kind of trick you. They'll say, <gasps> you believe in the Trinity? Yeah. Okay, well, hopefully that's not your only reason. It's because the Bible teaches it. We'll see that in a second. Okay, and they'll say, well, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. <gasps> so, the concept of the Trinity is. That's the important point. Pay attention. They'll do the same thing with this one. Uh, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. You believe, uh, What? Well, yeah, because it comes from a Greek word, uh, harpazo, okay, which means a snatching or a catching away, okay, which is what we're referring to in First Thessalonians, the bride being taken up the church, okay. Now, uh, which translate harpazo into Latin, which was the next language that came down the pike after Koine Greek from harpazo, uh, was translated into the Latin word raptura, which we don't speak Latin anymore, which now becomes English, which is where we get the word what? Rapture. So give me a break. It's there in the Bible. It's just the original word harpazo. What's your point? They'll do one more of the same thing. They'll say, you believe in a literal millennium of Jesus Christ that there's a millennium? The word millennium does not appear in the Bible. Yeah, but the whole thousand year reign of Jesus Christ does. What's a thousand years? Millennium, okay? So don't be tricked that even though the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't teach that. I wanted to do that. It says, this doctrine is unique to Christianity and serves to distinguish it from Judaism, Islam, and the pseudo or false Christian cults, okay? The Trinity is not a belief in three gods. That's what they would assume. They'll take a look at it and say one plus one plus one equals three. No, that's if you're dealing with something different, so to speak. No, God is one in essence the same as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, but they says that it's not a belief in God manifesting himself in three modes of existence. No, he's been eternally uh, the same. Or three manifestations of one God. The biblical doctrine of the Trinity is stated thus. The Trinity is composed of three united, underline that word, because that's what is the whole point. You've got to get, it's all unified. One, okay? 
And, uh, and that's why I like this triunity, trinity, triunity, okay? You're not talking about three different gods. United, uh, three united persons without separate existence, okay? How long has God the Father existed? How long has God the Son existed? Hey, you guys are two for three. Let's go for this one. How long has God the Holy Spirit existed? Yay, you win the prize. I don't have anything, but uh, you make up your own prize. Uh, but anyway, that's right. Uh, uh, and it's so completely united to form one God. The divine nature subsists in three distinctions. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's see what the scriptures teach, Tom, about this foundational Christian doctrine tonight. Okay, is God one? Good answer. Man, you guys are Christians or something. The first aspect of this doctrine that we will look at is the fact that there is only one, that's your first blank, one God, not three. The scripture is clear that God is one, okay, as Moses repeated the law to Israel just before they entered the promised land, he stated this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is your next blank there, okay, Deuteronomy 6.4. His emphasis of this fact was pertinent to those who were coming from, where they were coming from, and entering the land whose people had a belief in many gods. That is called polytheism, okay, poly meaning many Okay, theism, theos, meaning God. Many gods is what they would believe. Of course, there's the little g. As we saw before, that also means poly, okay, meaning many, okay, and ticks are blood-sucking creatures. Oh, that's right, the elections are over. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, but anyway, that's right, uh, that explains some things. Early in church history, the question uh, was developed whether Christ was the same as the Father in substance or in essence. Okay, you might think it's just splitting hairs. What's the big deal over this debate that they had, blah, blah, blah. It really wasn't a debate. It was some people coming in with false teachings trying to change it, okay, uh, if you study. Okay, Arius, and that's the guy, okay, Arius, he taught that Christ was like the Father in substance, yet the Father was greater than Christ. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Okay, they, it's a triunity, okay, one in essence, okay, and uh, although some equated the terms substance and essence, the proper way to designate the Trinity became this. One in essence, okay, is speaking of that. The essential oneness of God is linked to Deuteronomy 4. That's what we just read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Echad. Let's say that. Echad. Are you still suffering from that cold, John? What are you doing? No, that's, that's good Hebrew. Lots of consonants in there. Makes you sound like you're hacking, but you're not. But that's good stuff. Echad. Okay, compound unity, that's your next blank, unity, compound unity or united one. The statement stresses not only the uniqueness of God, but also the unity of God. Do you get it? It's a compound unity, okay? Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, I'm telling you, not one plus one plus one equals three, one times one times one uh, equals one, okay, is what we see there. Uh, the statement stresses that it all, uh, means that all three persons possess the summation of the divine attributes, but yet the essence of God is undivided. Oneness in essence also emphasizes that the three persons of the Trinity do not act independently of each other. Why? Because it's a tri-unity. Let me give you just one example that we see that in the scripture. Open your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. That's Ruth's favorite book. <laughs> right, Ruth? Yeah, good answer. He's right there. He's here. Uh, John chapter 5, let's take a look. And just one example that we're talking about that they don't act independently uh, of each other. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is just in verse uh, 19. This is what Jesus is talking about. And uh, he gives uh, this answers uh, to the Pharisees. Okay. 
And uh, here's what he says. Jesus gave him this answer. I tell you the truth, verse 19, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Why? Because whatever the father does, the son also does. They're acting in complete uh, cooperation, coordination. They're in unity, okay? This was a constant theme of Jesus in rebuffing the charges of the Jews. Remember that? Who are you? Who do you think you are? We only have one God. He says, listen, who do you think's here? God the Son. God, right before you. We're in concert with, I and the Father are one. I mean, we can go on and on, many passages where he says that over and over again. He's, uh, there's, there's no dichotomy here. It's like, do you have any idea who's in front of you? How many guys say they didn't get it? They didn't get it. I think some of them did, though. The Bible says that they loved their positions of power uh, and, and influence there. They didn't want to give it up. They didn't want him to be Messiah because they realized if he came into power, they're, they're out. Okay, people don't do that today, do they? They don't want Jesus because they don't want to give up. Anyway, that's right. Uh, Thus, God is one in uh, reference to his essence or nature. This is infirmed in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. All right, well, so God is one. It's very clear in the scripture, he is one. Now, wait a second. Is God three? And the silence was deadly. Just answer, Pastor Billy, I'm stressing out on it. Okay, well, let's take a look. Uh, The Bible also indicates that God exists as a trinity, Okay, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Elohim. Okay, Elohim. Yeah, that's right. E L O H I M. Elohim. Okay, Elohim. Okay, is used as a name of God in its, underline this, plural form. Okay, in its plural form. Okay, Mormons get this wrong. Okay, because it, they are right, it's a plural form of God there. They, one of their many false teachings that we've seen before. Uh, as they believe that that's this, this speaks of this divine council that exists in the heavenlies and that decided as, you know, Jesus, who is the, supposed to be the spirit brother of Lucifer, they decided who was going to go and save him. What? That's not at all. That's, a, that's a, a complete abomination of what the Hebrew, it's like, do you even know Hebrew? That's completely made up. That's crazy. It speaks of the plurality of God speaking of the Trinity. We'll get to that in a second. Many scholars believe that this is because God exists in a uh, trinity now let me give you just one example of this open your bibles to genesis chapter one okay genesis chapter one and if you find the first book of the bible page what do you do stay there and go to verse 26 okay and this is very important this is a, a portion this is a, a, a place not the only one where elohim god in plural form uh uh, turns out to be. Here we see uh, verse 26, and he's talking about creation, obviously. The creation account says this in verse 26, then God said, let what? Wait a second. Who's us? If you don't understand the Trinity, then you're going to have some problems. You can get out the first chapter of the Bible. That's Elohim. That's God. It's correctly us. It's plural. But it's not mean there's many gods and there's not some divine Mormon count. No. It's God in plural form, speaking of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We saw on Sunday, and he's going to reiterate the same passage here in Colossians, okay? Uh, It talks about in in the creation account, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. God the Father was involved in creation. He said, let it be. But in Colossians 1, who's the one who created all things and was made for him and by him? Jesus. You see all three involved in that one act. Let us. That's who he's talking about. Still one God, only one God, but he presents himself to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Not in separate entities, if you will. One in essence. Well, that makes sense. Well, well, how can I be father, son, and a pastor all at the same time? Be one guy. Same thing. Okay? Okay? But uh, anyway, so that's, what, that's just one again. Let me give you another example, too, 
and he's going to uh, uh, have that passage here. Uh, go to uh, Mark, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to see again uh, what's kind of a, a, a really neat example. You're going to see uh, at the baptism of Jesus, you got all three in the same time, space, mass continuum. Okay, Mark chapter 2, and uh, let's take a look here. Or excuse me, Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. Mark's going to come, Matthew, Matthew 3, uh, verse 13. And uh, so it's talking obviously about the baptism of Jesus. And it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now listen. As soon as Jesus, who's Jesus, the son, was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the, what? Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and lighting on him. Jesus, the son. And a voice from heaven, guess who that is? God the Father uh, said, this is my son with uh, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, how do you explain that if you don't understand the biblical concept of the Trinity? You got there, all three right there in the same time as a continuum, okay? And uh, that's what the scriptures talk about. But as we talk about Elohim, even not just in the New Testament with the baptism of Jesus, and we're going to get into the, the Great Commission, we are to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just a New Testament truth. Back in the very first page, the first chapter of the Bible, let us, Elohim, God. It's a truth that's throughout the scripture, uh, through and through, Old and New Testaments, and that's why I appreciate he said that's the test of orthodoxy versus uh, non-orthodoxy. In other words, true Christian belief versus non-Christian uh, belief. So let's continue on. Uh, there's other indications uh, in the Old Testament about the Trinity. Here's a couple examples. Isaiah 48, 16, we have a clear declaration of the Trinity. The Messiah, who states himself in verse 12, I am he, the first, I am the last, is said to have been sent by Lord God, the Father, and His Spirit. Okay, all three right there. Uh, also in Isaiah 61.1, a passage that Jesus quotes in the New Testament, Luke 4. Christ states, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is upon who? Jesus the Son. He, because He, the Father, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Again, we see all persons of the Trinity. Thus, the Bible is clear that God is three in reference to personality. Is your next blank there? Personality. Okay. And again, that, man, is that, that's so, no, it's not that hard of a concept. Okay. You don't have to get worked up over it, John. It's, it's cool. Just calm down. Okay. Uh, it's just like with me. Personality. I'm a father. I'm a son. And I'm a pastor. Which one is not me? The son. I don't know. They're all me. Okay. And that's what he's talking about. Three, these distinctions in personality can be seen in several places in the New Testament as well. Not just the old, it's the new. Okay, and the first one we just read was at Jesus' baptism. Okay, and again, it says, after he was baptized, he immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, coming upon him, the voice from the heavens, God the Father, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here the distinction between the three persons of the Trinity are seen. The Son, is your blank there? The Son being baptized... The Holy Spirit, your next two blanks, the Holy Spirit descending on him and the Father speaking his approval from heaven. Okay? Another familiar passage in the New Testament where we see the distinction between the divine persons as well as the unity. Okay? And again, remember that unity because I'm telling you that's what the cults do. Once they veer off and want to place more emphasis on God the Father and, and like Arius did and well, but Jesus isn't quite like it. 
you got a division. And once you start to divide the unity of the Trinity, you're into a cult. Okay, and that's what we see uh, again, unfortunately, today. He says this. Here's that example I was telling you about. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of uh, just your neck of the woods. No, just those people who have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> no, it's every Christian. Get out there and make disciples. And notice it's not believers. We've seen this so many times, okay? Disciples, disciplined learners, okay? Somebody needs to get saved. They need to get plugged in. They need to come. They need to be discipled. They need to uh, learn and study in the scripture, okay? And uh, that's what we need to do. Baptizing though them in the name of who? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You'll have some charismatic friends groups, uh, called the Jesus only group okay and they believe that you can only baptize only in the name of Jesus it's like what are you doing I mean there's a whole kinds of problems with that in the first place but uh, again what's it what's it say here how, how do you get around this unless you hack up the scripture we'll see that on Sunday with Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists Lord willing uh, and that's exactly what they do wait till we see that that's wild okay but uh, uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit says it right there so how can you say you only baptize in the name of Jesus Again, I'm telling you, this is the problem. This is one of the birthplaces of the occult. They usually get the deity in humanity, and that's the next chapter, the deity of Christ, wrong, or they get the Trinity wrong, and they overemphasize or de-emphasize one of the three instead of keeping them in unity, and pfft, there you go. And that's what we saw with Arius. We're going to see another thing he did wrong, Arius, and again, it proves the point. Whether it was early church history, whether it's today, you get the Trinity wrong, it's going to give all kinds of heresy, okay? And that's why it's a test for orthodoxy. Uh, again, we see the distinctions between the persons of the Godhead. But what about the divinity of the Son and Holy Spirit? Does the Bible teach that they are God, Jenna? Yeah, she said yes. We can close in prayer now. Whew, wasn't that stressful for a second? I was getting stressed. You weren't saying nothing. But no pressure. You want a piece of gum for that? I put you under the gun. Ready? Really? Okay. Yeah, watch out, Pastor. Right, and tonight we'll pray for uh, Pastor Jim. And uh, the gum that, anyway, that's right. I think it was, some, yeah. <laughs> all right, is Christ God? We saw God the Father, and we, we usually want to emphasize that, okay? But is Christ God? Jesus, is he God? Yes, he is, okay? The deity of Christ has been attacked. And again, we have a whole chapter, Lord willing, in the next chapter dealing with just that. And that's a very important point. Because again, that's what the cults want to do. They always want to not only misunderstand the Trinity and teach wrong, falsely the Trinity, but they always want to mess with Jesus. They always want to denigrate him. Okay, and we saw that again on Sunday. Okay, if you were here last Sunday. The deity of Christ has been attacked ever since the early years of the church. It continues to be the doctrine in which the majority of cults, is your blank there, cults err. Okay, you'll see it come on Sunday. You're going to clearly see that the, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, would say that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists say the same thing. Well, that's weird. Why would they agree with the Jehovah's Witnesses? Because, again, on Sunday, you'll see a little bit of a historical lesson that uh, they all started roughly about the same time. Late 1800s, you see the birth of all kinds of cults taking place in American history. You see the Mormons coming into play about the same time, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists, and Christian Science all coming around about the same time and, and it's, it's very interesting. You see that as you see the last days and society and technology ramping up, Daniel chapter 12, at the same time we're fast approaching exponentially the last days. All of a sudden these, notice this isn't a, a, a false religions that have been around for a long time like Buddhism or things of that nature. These are pseudo, as he mentioned there, pseudo or false Christian groups. 
So at the time when we really need to know the truth as we approach the last days, here comes the enemy and in the church dumps a whole bunch of false, fake Christian groups. And the reason why they get fake is because they not only mess with Jesus, but they mess up the Trinity uh, as well. But let's take a look at that. In the next chapter, we're going to deal with that in more depth, he says. And we're going to point out just a few of the scriptures tonight of this foundational doctrine. Now, one of the passages at the top of page 39 that scripture affirms that Christ is God is this is the passage we saw on Sunday, if you were here, with Doubting Thomas. Okay, yeah, isn't that God? What a, what a, what a, what a, what a horrible guy. What a, what a, what a, are you this crazy? How could he ever doubt? Good thing we never do it. Yes, and let's just move on. Uh, preacher's going to Midland. Uh, in response to Thomas having seen Christ's nail-pierced hands and spear-pierced side, he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. Okay, and again, man, that's, how do you get around that? And Jesus, oh, Thomas, I am just the archangel Michael who's reappeared. No, I am just a man like you. How dare you call me God? That's blasphemy. He didn't correct him. Okay, he is God. Okay, Christ did nothing to correct him if he was in error here. Uh, so we conclude the statement affirms Christ's deity. Okay, capital D. Deity uh, is your next blank there. Another important passage is John 1. Okay, uh, although the Colts have tried to twist this passage over the years, anyone with a freshman understanding, and we went over this in Greek class, and, and once you understand the Greek grammar rules, liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, that's, that's not even, a, 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 that's rotten Greek. That's like, you, you, read, you got your Greek instruction off the back of a Cheerios box. How many guys read Greek on the back of Cheerios? Now, you know my point. Obviously, if that's where they're trying to get it from, it wasn't happening because they broke even basic Greek grammar rules. They made it up. They lied. They lied. Anyway, that's the tip of the iceberg. Okay. Uh, uh, they, they, you know the passage there cannot be translated as the Jehovah's Witnesses inaccurately translated as the word was a God. That's not what it says. It clearly, flat out, emphatically, go back to the original Greek. You don't even have to but they want to twist it in the English, it says he was God, period, okay? And again, I'm telling you, I'm just, I don't want to give the whole sermon away on Sunday, but come Sunday, you talk about, I'm not going to trust one iota of what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, okay? They're, they're one of their founders, okay? Uh, Charles uh, Russell, uh, I believe. Did you know that guy actually believed that the church, I'm not making this up. Did you know he actually believed, amongst other wild, uh, wacky things, that the church was started by bald-headed men who had smoke coming off their brains? Nothing against bald guys. I'm just looking straight ahead. Okay, but smoke coming off their brains, and that's how the church started? I'm not making this up, folks. It sounds wild. Okay, and believe it or not, that if a dog, you'll see it, that if a dog had the shape of a man's head, the dog could talk. And the ones who wrote your supposed translation knew zero of biblical languages. And I'm going to listen to you when you say, oh, no, we know Greek. It says a God. You liar. Okay. And, and why do they do that? Because they mess with the Trinity. They mess with the identity of Jesus. That's one of the most obvious passages other than John 20, my Lord, my God. It says, and he was God. It's clearly speaking of Jesus. So if you don't want to say that Jesus was God, and then he was the archangel Michael, you have to mess up the text. And that's what they do. It's called a perversion. Okay, let's take a look at that. Uh, this verse is as follows. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And if you see the context, it's clearly Jesus. And the word was God. Not a God, he was God. Period. Jesus. And the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, 
This is another one we saw on Sunday, Colossians chapter 1. The creation of all things is attributed to the Father's beloved Son. This is what Paul states. For by him, Jesus, is the context, all things were created. I love this. It's like, really? All? Uh Uh-huh. Keep reading. He'll break it down for you. Uh, Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. It's Jesus. And yet, Genesis 1-1 attributes the creation of the heavens and the earth to God. There's your word again in plural, Elohim. Everybody was involved in that. God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thus, Jesus Christ is, uh, Jesus Christ the creator, is your blank there. Jesus Christ the creator is God. Let me give you one more example. This is the one I was thinking of. Mark chapter 2. Let's go there. That Jesus clearly is God. And this is why they wanted to kill him. One of the reasons why. Okay, Mark chapter 2. That's your Mark theme song for tonight. You like that, Don? Just for you, buddy. Mm, It's Vegas after all. All right, Mark chapter 2. We're going to read some of the... (laughs) I'm trying not to, man. I'm still trying to figure out how to be a father, son, and a pastor at the same time. Okay, Mark chapter 2. I've stalled enough time. Okay, uh, here's what the scripture says to you and I. Okay, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and let's start in the context. Uh, verse one, uh, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered uh, there, so many of them, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic uh, carried by four of them. Since they could not get uh, him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat uh, the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, sons, you're what? Your sins are forgiven. Who, who, who alone can forgive sins? God. Now, if you didn't know that, and you think, well, you're just putting that into the text. You're just, just, no. The text says that's exactly, everybody knew what he said when he said that. He was claiming to be God. And that's what the Jewish people said. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, well, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but what? God alone. And immediately Jesus said, you're right, I blasphemed. <gasps> no, again, just like with Thomas, he didn't correct them. In fact, keep reading, he gives you another evidence that he is God. Uh, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were what? Thinking in their hearts. Now, wait a second. How many guys can think what I'm thinking right now? Actually, if you would have said cow, you would have got it. I tried to make it easy for you, but you still couldn't even get that. Okay, why? Because you're not God and I'm not God. Only God can discern a person's thoughts, right? So again, he not only forgave sins, but in the exact same passage, uh, he knows our thoughts. Isn't that wild? Did you know that God knows what we're thinking all the time? And he still loves us. Anybody want to say, hey, man, praise God? (laughs) Yes, let's keep reading. Uh, Is the Holy Spirit God? Okay, so we saw the Father's God. Jesus is God. How about the Holy Spirit? Don't you know, I believe as the Mormons would say, that he is just some form of force or electricity? No, he's not. He's God, and he has a personality, okay? And we're going to see that clearly. The Holy Spirit is not simply a force or influence. He's a person. Early in the church uh, history, who's that guy again? Same guy. Again, what happens when you mess with the Trinity or the deity and humanity of Jesus? You get off on ten, and this is what this guy did. He denied now the personality of the, Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, okay? He said the Holy Spirit was only an influence emanating from the Father. He was condemned at the Council of Nicaea in 325, and uh, his teaching, unfortunately, has continued to the present time in Unitarianism and the cult such as, guess who? 
Jehovah's Witnesses. The, that the Holy Spirit has personality, is your blank there, personality is clear in that he possesses, and here's all the scriptural examples, if you want to check them out, folks. He has intellect, okay, 1 Corinthians 2. He has knowledge, 1 Corinthians 2. He has a mind, the mind of the Spirit, okay, Romans chapter 8. He has emotions, Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And five, he has a will. All of these things affirm the personality of the Spirit of God. Now, just go back there to a force, an impersonal force, or electricity. Does electricity have an intellect? How about a knowledge? How about a mind? How about emotions? Well, you feel like you got emotions when you get your electrical bill, don't you? And you want to talk to it. No, but that's no. And a will. No, no. So it's something that obviously has personality with a capital P is what we're dealing with here. But what about the deity of the Holy Spirit? So he's not a force, he's a person, capital P. What about the deity? Well, does the Bible teach that the Holy Spirit is God? Yes, there is abundant evidence for the deity of the Holy Spirit throughout the scripture. Now, and we already seen one of them in our passages at the baptism of Jesus, the title Spirit of God, okay, came upon Jesus, right? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. So how many guys would say that that means the Holy Spirit is God, I mean, you guys are brilliant. Okay, evidences his relationship to the Father and the Son and, of course, affirms that he is God uh, as well. When he is called the Spirit of God, that means he is the very person, capital P, of God. 1 Corinthians 2 clearly shows that as man and his spirit make one and the same being, again, same, that's a whole other analogy. A person, you know, to be like me, how many of you guys are glad you're not like me? Come on, man, what do you got? Really, John? We're man truckers. All right, never mind. Anyway, so, anyway but, but this is another analogy to help explain even how can three be one. But we see that even as human beings, we're made up of a, we're called a tripart being, okay? These are big words. We're made up of a spirit, a soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, and a body, okay? Now, which one of those is not you? Anybody, anybody glad as you get older that at least you get a new one of those guys? And when, you know what I'm saying? That's right. But, uh, but anyway, that's right. But, uh, but that's the same thing. And that's what he's talking about here. That it's just as a man and his spirit make one and the same being, so God and the spirit are only one. Okay? And that's what we see in uh, John uh, chapter 4 that clearly says God is spirit. Okay? In fact, let's turn there real quick because I want you to see with your own eyes. John chapter 4. And this is a classic passage dealing with um, the woman at the well. John chapter 4. And we're making your, making your night here, Ruth, your favorite book. We're in it a couple different times here, John chapter 4. And Jesus, uh, as he's talking to the woman's well, cluing her in on not only who's right before you, okay, but uh, what it means to be a true worshiper of God. What do you got to know to be a true worshiper of God? John chapter 4, verse 24, here's what he says. He says this, God is what? Spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth, okay? And so that's what we see, God is spirit, okay? You can't get around that, okay? In addition, there's several passages that when compared, confirm the deity of the spirit. Isaiah 6 is one of them. We read that the Lord is the voice of the Lord, is speaking, okay? And he said, go and tell this people, keep listening, but do not perceive, keep on looking, but don't understand. Yet, when Paul quotes this same passage in Acts 28, he attributes it to the Holy Spirit, voice of the Lord, Holy Spirit, okay, the same thing there, and this is a, a, another uh, a great passage that he talks about, 
uh, uh, situation, Jeremiah 31, the top page 40, which is said to be the Lord speaking. And when Hebrews quotes it in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews, it's attributed to the Holy Spirit. But here to me, the, one of the big giant nails in the coffins is the account, Acts chapter 5, of Ananias Sapphira. How many of you guys would say that God doesn't like lying? Okay, and that's what we see here. A final passage which clearly sets forth the deity of the Spirit is found in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, Ananias Sapphira. Uh, they deceptively tried to give half the price of some land that they had sold, yet they presented it before the people as being the full price. Okay? Peter was given divine knowledge, if you recall that passage, to discern this deception, and he confronted Ananias and stated, listen, how do you get around this? If you, don't, if you think the Holy Spirit is just some sort of force or electricity, listen, he says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep reading. The next verse, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God is your next blank there. You lied to God. How do you get around that? Right? Clearly, in Peter's mind, the Holy Spirit was God. Okay? Well, what's the relationship? Well, Tom, thank you. We're going to take a look at that now. There exists within the Trinity a distinct relationship in terms of function. Is your blank there? And I think that's a really good way uh, to help understand that. Function. Right? Because if you look back at this analogy of me, okay, these are different forms of I'm one me who still can't sing, but it's Vegas. You got to try, right, John? That's right. Hey, they'll do anything on this trip. Have you noticed that? That's, I said, we got to get out there and witness because that's, uh, you can have witness and have a great time. Have you guys seen those, uh, those uh, Elvis impersonators out there? Right? No, but have you seen that there's like two guys. Last time we saw them, uh, Tony was out here filming uh, for the, the trailer. And it was two guys, two, two like uh, midget guys dressed as Elvis, like Elvis twins. It was like, man, you guys are genius. They were great. I mean, everybody wanted to go with them. I wanted to go up there with them. But uh, anyway, but that's right. But I didn't sing. That's right. But uh, I digress. Me. Okay. Uh, as we saw, function. Okay. Function. I function as a father. I function at the same time, son. And at the same time, I function as a pastor. Which one's not? And th that's what he's talking about. There exists within the Trinity a distinct relationship in terms of function, okay? But you're dealing with one in essence, okay? The Father is not begotten, nor does he proceed from any person. The Son is eternally, that's your blank there, eternally begotten from the Father, okay? And the Holy Spirit eternally, you get to repeat it again, next blank there, proceeds from the Father and the Son. The word procession suggests the Trinitarian relationship of the Father and the Son uh, sending the spirit it's important to note however that these terms denote a relationship okay function relationship of the trinity and does not suggest inferiority underlying that <clears throat> inferiority in any way why because that's the mistake that arius uh, made okay one of the many that he started to go south on 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 uh, biblical teaching is he thought that jesus was a yeah he's like god but he's subordinate he's inferior okay same thing jehovah's witnesses do and others, and many, many others, unfortunately, cults, is they want to denigrate Jesus or elevate one. No, it's a, tr what's the word? Try, where's it at? Hey, I don't know. Triunity, okay, is, is the term that's used there. Although the Son and Holy Spirit are subordinate to the Father in their relationship, okay, they are equal. Here's your blank there. Equal in glory, power, and length of existence. Which one has been around the longest? They all have. That's right, Don, they all have. You got the right answer tonight. Okay, it was a trick question. They're equal in glory, power, and length of existence. As Henry Thiessen points out, John, pay attention. The subordination is voluntary, okay? 
voluntary, not necessary. Okay, as if I have to because he's, 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 not a, uh, uh, he's a lesser than the father. No, it's, it's voluntary. It's a relational. It's a functional uh, issue, okay, uh, as we see there, okay. The three persons of the Trinity are equal. The father is recognized as authoritative and supreme. The son is also recognized as equal to the father in every respect. And the spirit is likewise recognized as equal to the father and the son. Wow, that was a really interesting uh, discourse, Pastor Billy. Uh, how many guys can believe it that uh, maybe it's John, your presence here tonight, we actually made it through a whole chapter in one night. <laughs> the Spirit of God is upon us. <laughs> There's something there. It even caused me to spit. You know you're preaching when you can make it past the first row. But uh, that's what I was learning at Bible college. But uh, our next chapter, as you guys will find out, Lord willing, we are going to be dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, and again, I like that because, again, it, you, if you kind of get the Trinity, if you think you know it, well, then you, you better nail it on the deity of Jesus Christ. You can't get around that. But what we're going to see is the cults, false teachings, hairless ticks or heretics, however you want to call them, uh, they get it wrong when they mess with the Trinity uh, and they mess with the deity of Christ. This is no minor doctrine. The same thing we could talk about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And well, that's just some doctrinal thing. So you don't believe. No, that's a big issue. What would be the problem, just to, in closing, hopefully, that... Uh, uh, you can say, well, the Trinity is no big deal, so they don't believe it. No, because if you don't believe in the biblical version of the Trinity, guess what you're going to get wrong? And you already got wrong. Who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. And how many guys would say that would mess things up? It's like a, you, you think it's a small thing. It's not. It starts to snowball and get bigger and bigger as you go downhill. The longer you go on and deny the Trinity, you mess things up. And you turn Jesus into something he's not. You turn Jesus into something he's not, then do you even have true biblical salvation? Okay, same thing with the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not born uh, of a virgin birth and the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, okay, it was not a natural uh, birth, okay, in that essence, uh, why is that big? What, what would happen if Jesus had a natural birth, as some people would say? He'd be born with what? A sin nature. If Jesus, and start, you start, okay, that's a small snowball. No, it starts to roll downhill. Wait a second. If you deny the virgin birth and say it was just a natural birth, it's no big deal of holding tight to doctrinal beliefs of virgin birth, then Jesus had a natural birth, which means he inherited the sin nature like you and I. Keep rolling downhill. If he had a sin nature like you and I, guess what he did during his life? He sinned. Keep rolling downhill. If Jesus sinned and he actually still went to the cross, okay, then guess what would happen? His work on the cross would what? not have been acceptable. Keep rolling downhill. If his work on the cross would not have been acceptable uh, as the perfect sacrifice that had no sins, then death would have had the power to keep him in the grave. If the, Keep rolling downhill. If death had the power to keep Jesus in the grave because he had a natural birth, because he had a sin nature, and because his work on the cross was nullified because he sinned, then as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our faith is futile and we're still stuck in our sin. Do you, now, so roll it back. Where'd that start? Virgin birth. Do you see why? Bingo. These are important things. And you might think Trinity is one of them. Virgin birth is another one. We're going to see the deity of Jesus is coming up next. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. 
In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. 
Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.